Welcome back to another episode of From Where We Sit. Today I have a guest, Maddie Pigeon, who's a global marketing strategist, a paid media at F5 based out of Seattle. And what's interesting about this conversation and what I was thinking about leading up to it is what F5 has done, especially in 22, and some of our work with them and my interaction with Maddie is this buy-in at a company level of kind of a mantra and a tagline of a force for and this campaign that was more inward looking than just outward looking. And it goes back to a lot of discussions I've had in, in the marketing community and to this book that I've read, a little plug for Deep Marketing by Bill Hayes, um, an ex, actually a client of mine, who wrote a book about this idea that marketing must be more than just this outward facing thing. And it can't just live within a department. Marketing must permeate throughout the entire company from the CEO downwards. And that the best marketing that connects is if you have inward belief, it'll kind of exude itself outward. And Maddie was a part of these campaigns and this outward facing thing that was a force for was bought in so much internally. And I've never seen in my career, a company kind of embrace this messaging. And so we're going to touch on that today, among other things about Maddie's career and her perspective on the industry and working within media and marketing. And I think we have a lot of uh, good discussion, a little bit different perspective than we've had in a lot of the other podcast episodes. So with that said, I'd love to welcome Maddie into today's episode. Maddie, welcome to From Where We Sit. Thanks. It's great to, to be on and chatting with you guys. I'm excited. We'll start off with a little softball here, but just talk about yourself and your kind of current path. What's I think I found is not everyone has this linear path to a career. I had a little bit more of a linear path, but not most of the people that we've spoken to so far haven't. But how has your path been to where you are today? Do you feel like it's been pretty linear or did you know in college and leading up to this point that you kind of wanted to be in this field or what's your path to the position at F5? Yeah, no. So, I mean, just to recap, I guess when I first got into media and marketing in general, my original intention coming out to the Bay Area was actually to work in VC and work in venture capital and and with startups. And because I that's what I had the pleasure of having a great opportunity of doing in London uh, before I graduated college. I was surrounded by a lot of people who were very interested in doing that too when I was, you know, in school. Uh, we had a lot of programs at the University of Arizona where it was very much venture capital focused, but I found my love in, in advertising and paid media specifically by being able to tour an agency for a year, essentially. So I first started working at this independent, but very large independent shop in Seattle or not in Seattle, sorry, in San Francisco. Sorry, I'm like tired today, I guess. It was a fully uh, full stack, full service agency. It had creative, it had strategy, it had branding, it had media, data analytics. Like if, if there was a service or capability, that agency had it. And I started off as the executive assistant to the CEO. And I had the absolute pleasure of spending about a year going through each of the departments, essentially, and working with them and identifying what they do and understanding how each of the different facets of those departments work together. And the big part that I learned was just my about myself in general was just my love for really the data side of, of advertising and marketing. And I do think that culturally that I found myself into the media team because there was energy, there was excitement, there was a lot of vendor interactions. It was both like a creative side to what I wanted to get into. It's like, it's activating that creative side as well as that data analytics side of me. And uh, so it it was a little nonlinear at first, but once I 
got into media, it has been on the straight and narrow up ever since. And I, I have no intention of leaving. Yeah. You've worked on the agency side, I think in your previous position more in it's based on what I saw on your profile about, you know, B2B focused and now you're in-house. What do you feel like some of the transitions been from agency to kind of working on maybe a singular brand or a focus at an F5 in that kind of different life than agency life? Yeah, I mean, well, in-house is 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 very different. And I will also say, I think my, my expectations of what in-house was like and what it was going to be like is also very different than actually living it. I thought I knew, but then now I know. And, I, and it, there are a lot of like interesting surprises, actually, of being uh, client side that is so different from the agency. I think when you're on the agency side, you you have like a currency to sort of bargain with when it comes to your bandwidth and time. And if the client wants more, there's opportunity to revise the scope and say, okay, well, more work is more money. And uh, when you're on the client side, you don't have that currency in the same way. You almost need to find what that currency is whenever you're transitioning from an agency side to in-house. You can't just like say like, hey, we need for, for services, we need more, you know, operational costs and ad serving fees or, or whatnot to be able to do this. Whereas like internally, you, you have to think of your team's bandwidth. You have to think about your team's ability to execute and look at their own goals, their quarterly goals that we're, we're set to. So the currency feels a little different on how we like interface as different stakeholders. And then the currency has to be empathy in that sense too. You know, without it, like I think any team like really needs to have that level of empathy and understanding of people's bandwidth Mm -hmm. and treating each other like human. And I think honestly, in my experience being client side now, I really see that. I really feel that now. Like people have people are, we're all human. We're empathetic. We're all trying to, I mean, for me, I like, I want to accomplish the world. I want to get everything done, you know, and people see that. And I think I see that in other people and they're empathetic of like the goals that I want to do as well. So it's really, it's really great. Let's talk. I was alluding to earlier about the campaign that was launched in 2022 and it's kind of one of your first or maybe only kind of brand awareness media campaigns as, as it was shared with us, but talk about you know, B2B and brand campaigns or awareness don't always go hand in hand, right? And I know you're a believer of it, but the goals are often leads and sales conversions. How do you see the importance of brand in B2B? And then I'll follow that up with about the cultural element of that as well, what made this campaign maybe more unique than what you've seen in the past. Yeah, well, I mean, in the same regard that brand campaigns are important in B2C, it you need to know what the company that you're speaking with, talking to, that you're making these extremely large transition or transactions with. And like any other type of advertising and marketing campaigns, it's just so exceptionally important to like have a brand voice. Because in the end, if your services and your products are not that much different from your competitor, but your competitor is very well known in the space, you're not going to run your business right. No one is going to know your product. People are going to know your the competitor's product. And it, it's just important to set up a, like an establishment of like who you are as a brand and what sets you apart, really. And I think that's where, where B2B brand marketing campaigns can be really difficult, which is how do you strike that balance between that message that's conveying technical elements but without losing like a spirit and a, and a voice and, you know, having almost a personality behind the brand, but the messaging needs to be unique. It needs to be your voice, the brand's voice. 
And an absence of that means that you're just, you know, handing out white papers. You're just, you're, you're, you're almost asking our audiences or the people that who should be consuming our content and our campaigns to jump like from level one straight to level 10 and no context of the chapters before and needing that message to be very specific to your brand, I think is really hard to find. Like it's hard to find messaging and creatives whenever they're brought to me in my years of experience. And I've seen a lot of B2B brand advertising ads in the past with like previous lives at different agencies or or in different brands. And sometimes they look pretty similar and it's really hard to, to set, set us apart. And I think B2B brands absolutely need this. They do because it gets lost in the noise unless you set yourself apart. And the way to do that is to do deep and big impact at the top yeah. of the funnel. So this specific campaign of Force 4, describe how the company kind of bought in on it, what levels and like to what extent did you see it get bought in and did you feel it more than just in the media and the campaign in which we ran it? It, it felt from our perspective as an agency that partnered on the work, it felt like it existed. You could see it kind of through your social and that it wasn't just this one-off media campaign with an end sales goal to it. It was like kind of a, a core mission within F5, but how did you perceive it? And do you feel like the company bought in and maybe some examples of what you saw? By the time it it, it, it was it was on my plate and it was like, go time, it's ready to go. It really was born out of like, okay, BF5, like who are we as a, as a brand, as a company? And I think the first things that came to mind by leadership were the people that work at F5, like who we are as a company, a workforce, like what our mission and in each, even individually, like the things that we care about and the things that we prioritize in our lives, I think was the core element of that campaign that that drove like, oh, we have such a great value here to tell a story to tell about who we are as a company, because we're more than just, you know, load balancing, cybersecurity, firewall products like we're not we're not just another B2B software and, and you know, cybersecurity product company. You know, we are people. There are people at this organization that do a lot of hard work and they care about their products. And, and I feel like in the end, like our goal was to share that with our target audiences and, and have, have, have our potential customers and those people that maybe have not heard of us to enjoy that experience with us. Yeah. And it was just really impressive to see. It felt like people wearing our force four shirts to work. There was the, you know, community events, like everyone from the CMO down just kind of living this message and even some of the videos there's a lot of kind of first person videos of what a force for and like what it meant and so that was really impressive and this isn't meant to be a self-promotion and ad for f5 but it is interesting because i think these examples of taking a marketing concept and then living it was made it a little bit more exemplary than other campaigns where it's just this outward facing thing and then most people in the brand don't even know it's exist it exists like they couldn't tell you what's happening on the on a marketing and side and this one felt totally different where like everyone probably at the company from top to bottom would know what a force for yep. meant and that the company was kind of living what they were talking about I yeah and and I think it's like a rallying call you know I think that's what that's what I think my experience being client side now has been it's been really great. It's 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 truly a rallying call that gets us excited about what we're doing every day here and and 
I think it needs to be a best practice and a standard requirement for brands to do this because there's a distance that's created in organizations unless you can have that rallying call and, and identify with that larger message. Yeah. I want to pivot a bit to talk more about you and just your kind oh. of per, yeah, uh, your kind of growth and, and things that you're seeing from an individual level about kind of corporate culture, your work and experiences. I think that's a lot of what we're trying to accomplish here is like see how maybe people that are below director level or executive level are perceiving the corporate world. You obviously work in a corporation. It's not a small mm-hmm. company or a, a couple person shop. So you definitely have interesting views on this that I'm, I'm curious to hear about. I, I want to talk about yourself specifically. You work or live in a different city than the headquarters. Um, while work from home obviously is still prevalent, F5 is trying to promote a team culture. You have like Thirsty Thursdays and like fun events that are more in-person. I know you travel up to Seattle from time to time, but like, do you ever feel like you're missing out as more and more teams and people are moving outward and working from home in different places? Do you ever just get that feeling of like, oh, I'm missing out or maybe there's something more that if I lived in that city, uh, is there some FOMO? Well, you know what? FOMO exists in my life every day because I love hanging out with people in person no matter what. And I will say um, I am very fortunate to work for an organization that was work from home friendly before the pandemic started. F5 is really good about being human first. And we understand that in the end, what we're doing here, we care about the work, we care about what we're waking up to each day. Um, but we are also flexible. We understand that people live different um, cadences to their day-to-day lives. And I'm very, very thankful. I, I joined into an organization where even before the trends started happening, where people started working from home, um, it was very, uh, the culture was very friendly to that. I do get to go up to uh, uh, Seattle a lot, which I love. And I am very much an in-person person. Like I love engaging with the team. I love sitting down with our juniors and going crazy on a whiteboard and explaining what how multi-touch attribution works and um, talking about crazy, like cool, creative ideas. And that spirit is lost a little bit while on, you know, just interfacing on Zoom. But there are a couple of tactics I've had to employ in my life to like keep the spirit going. And I just try to adopt cheerleader mentality, cheerleading coach mentality. It's like, Eve, I'm going to pretend that the people that I'm talking to in these Zooms are actually in the room with me. So I try to like keep the energy going. Uh, I do reminisce and I, I am nostalgic about the time where we're all in an office. And as you know, like, it's media team department offices. So, you know, it's a little crazier. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bit of that like community, like, yeah, I'm working through a several thousand line trafficking sheet, but someone's blasting Tupac and we're watching the US Open in the background. Like it's, I do miss that. And I feel like I'm a bit of an energy vampire sometimes where if I, if there were people working next to me, I can like kind of body double off of that and get that energy from them. But you know what? I I do what I can. I replicate like a great environment at home. Um, I try to have more touch points with my juniors more often. And also, honestly, like my team makes it so easy. They really do. Like I work with my favorite people on this earth. Like I and it makes me not being close to them like so much easier. So really, really, I attribute it all to really to them. 
Yeah, I don't think I would ever question you for having a lack of energy. There's actually a great <laughs> show um, from what we do. Uh, what we do in the shadows. It's like a great show on FX. And I love there, that show. There's a energy sapper vampire, so he doesn't have like your classic yeah, vampire. And I'm... you're the opposite of that. I was gonna say. Um, I probably yeah. described it wrong, but like he's the whole thing is he's a vampire that's like takes energy from people and makes them just like, kind of miserable. I went and... to the DMV and. <laughs> paperwork was 11 pages like oh god like the drone on I love that show but yeah no it's you have to adopt a new like mentality I will say like I have like this is I'm open about this I have neurodivergencies like I have ADHD and like working from home has been challenging and I think there are a lot of people who they they're they're they have neurodivergencies or you know sometimes working from home is really hard for certain people. And a lot of people didn't discover that until they started working from home. And I am so excited that my company does a lot of good work on like providing services to like help people with that transition. Or if things shift and they need some assistance, like, like my company is really good. I just think of all the people who, who also deserve that. And like, if there's anybody listening on this podcast that has the ability to improving like accessibility to resources for project management, for resources of getting people back in the office on their own time, I would encourage you to do it because it has worked wonders for me and as somebody who has their own little neuro spiciness on their end. Yeah. As you've, so pivoting a little bit to your growth in your career, obviously we talked about a little bit of a linear track and on your up way upwards, I wanted to ask about whether it's a company like F5 or previous agencies, do you feel like they're laying out the path of kind of progress and what the future looks like, not so much for the company, but for you and giving you that kind of the resources and transparency to say like, here's how we see you progressing and here's the opportunities. And are they helping you grow in advance? Is it transparent enough? Like I think about this a lot with our own agency is I just had a conversation with someone on our team the other day where he was checking in to say like, how do I make progress? Right. We're at this point where client work can be up and down. Like how do they keep hitting the check marks? Because I, as a manager, some days, I'm not looking at their scope or their like things that we're trying to have them do to get to the next level every day. I probably don't even look at it enough. So do you feel like you're getting nurtured enough and kind of that progress is clear? Yes. I do feel like right now in the role that I'm in, right? Like in the role I'm in right now, even being client side, I do feel like I am being developed and that there are programs in place that I feel like are supporting me. I think on the agency side, there's some interesting trends that are occurring that I I worry that we're not training the next generation of advertisers and media planners. Like that, that's my concern. And um, because there has been a, a a consolidation in a lot of ways of, uh, you know, marketing and advertising services, um, people taking things in or brands taking things in house. And the the independent full service agency is declining in my experience. I feel like there there are less and less of those that exist. You know, they they get acquired by a larger um, advertising group, uh, and and sort of each of the services within that that independent agency then get kind of ciphered out. And, and in my experience, I had an amazing experience seeing how everything worked together and 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 under like from 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 tracking trafficking um uh data analytics creative strategy project management 
all those things are becoming so siloed. And the people I, I have found myself interviewing for joining, you know, our company or even in previous lives, especially as after the pandemic really kicked off, but even it kicked off a little bit before was a hyper-specialization of juniors. And that is very concerning to me because nine times out of 10, the media plans that are put out in market are smaller budget. They're smaller budget. And, and the, and you're not going to hire a search, a display, a social and a contents in, you know, channel owners for a $30,000 campaign. Like that's like it, the cost, it, it, it bottoms out. And then it also doesn't develop juniors in a way to be marketable in, in the industry and to, to market for themselves. And I, that's my fear that I think um, it's not what agencies are trying to do or, or a strategic decision to silo these like fields. It's just, I feel like a lot, a lot of places yeah. were underserving the next generation. I mean, at some shops, it's like media strategy and planning are one place and the media ex- activation and execution are in a different department, which I always found odd. I, th- I think like we're a, you know, DNW is really small. So we're five people, but we, there is an element of silo where people are kind of maybe more Google or, or like social focus. But at the same time, we try to think of them as media strategists and planners first who happen to execute in certain platforms better than others, but they could still plan and strategize and understand the context in which these other channels exist. And then to things like video programmatic or just like direct, whatever could be like takeovers, direct buys, et cetera. Um, streaming audio, video, those can be planned and that should still fit in the bigger picture. And even though we're a media agency, the partnerships that we have, it's like we've taken on this mantra of like media fits into the larger picture. So we must understand the larger picture because if we just do this thing, like we do not want to be seen as lever pullers because that is one, probably not as satisfying as from a job point of view of people just pulling levers all day. But um, yeah, it is interesting. I see agencies and I, I remember being in Detroit and our agency had a lot of silos like media planning. And then there was a analytics team and that would do traffic. And then there was a trafficking team and a QA like that did trafficking QA, like all these silos. And I moved, when I moved to Seattle, I went to an agency where we had to do all those things ourselves. And that actually was an unbelievable experience because I saw so much more sides of the business where when I went to, came to Seattle, I didn't like, this is embarrassing, but I didn't know how to use like pivot tables because we never really had to do those things because there was analytics teams that were pulling all the data. We just had to look in platforms every now and again. It was just so different. Yeah. And I think I, that- don't, I also like the pivot table thing. That's not embarrassing because I think that's happening right now. Yeah. They're, they're, and like, I don't, I never blame anybody who doesn't have that experience, especially when they're that junior, because it's not their fault, but, or it's not, not really anybody's fault. It's just like, it, it they did they came to the table because it's already so hard for yeah. folks juniors to get a job you know like in a way like i i really do strongly think that even if it is a a time investment stuff that agencies don't do they they need to give a significant portion of like their juniors billable hours to learning because in the end that's beneficial not only for that company in the long term it it always pays out it mm-hmm. always does um, but it in the aggregate, it just makes the market easier. Like those those trained juniors could eventually become the next CMO of your future client. Like, and and they're going to be better equipped to do media and marketing and advertising if they're trained. Like it's yeah. like we 
it's all about the future, really. Yeah. Within F5, one thing I, it's noticeable to me in a, in a positive way is that you have a f- lot of female leaders, right? So if you think about your maybe direct reports above you all the way up to your CMO are all women. Um, I don't know about your previous experiences and what your management, but do you feel like you notice a difference being a woman and being led by women? Is it good to see that representation? Does it feel like there's opportunity? Do you feel like maybe at this point in 2023, maybe that's not as needed as it maybe it was 10 years ago? Or do you, is this something unique and you've seen in your career? I'm just curious because, um, you know, media is is pretty, maybe leans a little bit more female to male overall, but like there is a definite thing with ad agency and corporate life that is very male or male dominant. I mean, I've seen an agency life where most of the directors and above are, are male, so male dominant. Do you do you notice that difference? Do you feel the difference? Are there ta- tangible things or just an intangible uh, thing that comes yeah. with it at a five? Which, by the way, I'll just comment and say I, I love this question because I do think that we need to talk about this more. I think representation is extremely important, especially when you, uh, not just the people that you interface with on a day-to-day basis, but it needs to go all the way to the top. Um, I will say having female leaders primarily in my life, and I would say that that existed prior to F5 as well, in in certain regards, like, of course, like more of my direct reports in media. And yes, you are correct. Media does skew more female than than male. But then there's like always that point sometimes where suddenly vice presidents, the the executive um, VPs and up, they tend to start looking a little bit more homogenous and also a little bit you know, maybe they identify a male as well. Yeah. Um, they look, like, they look said, like, they look like me, uh, probably a little bit older, yeah. but a white, uh, 50 year old white man. Well, well, sometimes a little older. And, and, yeah. and you know what, honestly, I, I, I do feel it, there is a difference, um, because in my reaction and in my, um, inner, like when I interface with the team, it, it makes me feel good to know that, you know, despite historical trends, that there is a path forward for someone who is like me now and, and, and is a woman. Now, do I also think that there needs to be representation of not just women, but like also of trans uh, individuals, as well as people who are people of color? Like, I think we all need to do a lot more work on that. And I think that's a, a challenge that every brand experiences. And I think I'm so proud that F5 is, that's a huge goal. And um, and I'm really proud of it, but in my, in my experience, like day to day, there's like a language sometimes that one adopts with somebody who is more similar to you and, and feeling that representation. And, you know, I like, you can't like specifically call out like specific words, but there's just something about like a cadence for how you communicate and, and, um, and feeling comfort in a room when like, you know, there's just an understanding sometimes of like kind of the challenges that women face. That's really important. Yeah. I know the answer to this question, but also I want to ask you anyways, <laughs> is obviously you're very energetic. I kind of put the word no nonsense person and you're working in a corporate environment, right? Um, now, obviously it seems like it's a very inclusive and open-minded corporate environment, but it's still corporate in some sense. Do you feel like you can be yourself in a corporate environment? Do you ever feel like you have to restrain yourself um, or just being open. I, I think, and even in an example like this, where uh, in a previous guest, we were talking about her having diabetes and like 
the guilt that she could feel in certain positions about talking about those things. And I'm not saying that's your exact thing, but just, you know, there's always these considerations when you get into more of a big company where there's like levels and wanting to be careful about how you express yourself. Do you feel that's been the case? Can you kind of be yourself? Um, Because as we're kind of evolving as a work society and just society in general, I think we're learning that this we're not this homogenous group and that this like being normals like no one's normal right everyone is unique yeah. has these unique elements to it so do you feel like you can be that in an environment like a corporate setting i am in a position where and at a company where i am able to be myself and that is also because i have i work with a team of people who understand that and they love that and they see a value in that and i i do manage juniors and i never want them to feel like they need to put on a mask every day that exhausts them by the time that they have to sign off and what i've started to learn and understand is like we we need to push forward in being who we are in our roles or else by the we're going to burn out so fast and it and it the weight of the mask is very heavy and in a corporate environment yes there are elements and it's social norms and 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 regardless of where you are even i mean even at my company that almost predicates that you need to sort of put yourself away and 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 like be in that position and uh, i think those are less uh frequent um I, I think for me, it, being in corporate environment, that is not, a little hard for me as somebody who has ADHD is for me, when there's a period, like it's go time, like I want to keep going. Like I like that momentum can't stop because that's what energizes me. That's what keeps me going. And that's where, where the creativity sparks. And um, in corporate life, there's always hold up some things in any, in any type of environment. And so having that stop sometimes is a, a bit derailing and for someone like me and I'd like, I know I've talked to people who are in advertising and they also have ADHD and managing your time can be pretty hard because of that. Um, you know, where you feel like there's setbacks on certain things and that's just because there's so many intricate elements in corporate work that needs it like synchronized together in order for it to work. So as somebody who's joining in on, it's a new language I need to kind of figure out, but I am very, very thankful that I work for a team where I can be myself, I can use the qualities about me that maybe aren't super corporate, you know, quote unquote corporate, but they're like my superpower. Like they, I, I think we all try to lean into our strengths the most. And by doing that, it mitigates some of the, the challenges that corporate life can kind of entail. Um, I do know that there are some of my friends that do not have that experience working in corporate and I would say for each day that they're working, it probably feels like two days because everything you say, there's almost like a pre-thought to it. Mm-hmm. And I know that's really hard. Yeah. And I think about the idea, it's, you know, coming from sports, This there was this old mantra of treat everyone the same. And it's kind of moved to, actually, I mean, I've moved to the thought in a lot of coaching and management is treat the individual actually differently. You're still having the same objectives and uh, outcomes, hopefully, but the idea is you need to treat each person different to their strengths and weaknesses to get to those outcomes, right? And I think from a management standpoint, 
taking into account whether someone has ADHD or skilled in something or, or another, how can you still get those outcomes and but also be um, supportive and understand where each individual is coming from? And that's where like our whether it's corporate setting, small business, are you accounting for that? So I know for my team of four that I'm managing, each of them operate a little bit different. Some I can be more blunt with or direct. Some like from simple things like, can I be blunt or direct? Do I need to be softer pedal things, right? Yeah. Um, how do I push them? What are the expectations based on their role? And then there's even things like your type, like things that are maybe more chemical or ADHD specific, or are they, you know, are they more of a night, even things like, are they more of a night person versus a morning person? Right. And how do you accommodate for that? And like, does nine to five really matter if someone really wants to start at 10? Like, how do you adapt, but still expect the same outcomes from everyone? And so I think it's getting there. And I think the world is moving really fast, but it's amazing to me and fascinating that while you're having a, 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 seems like a good experience being kind of tailored to that so many people aren't. And I think a lot of the reason this podcast exists is to talk about things and make them more open so that if the five people listening to this one day, um, and maybe thousands of people will listen to this one day, will say, like, this is how we need to progress forward because this is not, each individual situation is unique, but at a larger point, this is not a unique scenario and we need to evolve our business practices and listening to people that aren't just C-suite, old school boomers and Gen X and even older um millennials like myself like there's a new perspective and i think we need to evolve with that to be kind of better run companies yeah and it 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 ultimately also speaks to just how important diversity is within organization like what we're really talking about is how do we create a culture where we all have the same goal but we accommodate for so many different types of people and for one thing like like diversity is just important to have like i mean i don't even need to talk about the business case of it like that's not the point the point is to like create a culture that everybody can feel included and like the value comes with it. Like, you know, yeah. and, and the, the purpose of it is that I don't want to talk to the same person. every day. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I love learning from new people. I'm not going to get that by talking to people who look like me. Like it's not yeah. going to happen. Mm-hmm. Especially in advertising. I mean, I've seen it most in advertising where I've gone through this experience because there is a, um, you know, phrase that goes around with advertising, which is like hashtag advertising so white and which can happen. And I mean, I've seen something, I had to talk a client out of doing an MLK day sale one time because like, they just didn't have the sense they thought, Oh, it's a holiday. And like, let's do it. And I, we had to push back and like be very persistent that we are not doing this. And and that's a very specific thing around diversity, but like having different voices in the room or different perspectives. And luckily me being in some diverse ex- environments in my work career, I was able to pull from those and not have the single track mind that probably the people that were thinking of running an MLK Day spot sale were did not have, right? And if they would have had more experiences, right, um, diversity being a part of those experiences, they probably would not have thought of that idea in that specific sound. So I know we've kind of diverted away from the conversation, but I think like yeah. it's it's having diverse experiences leads you to being and managing people because you see the uniqueness in individuals and that all those different experiences you can pull from to manage people in a better way and then pull the best from them. Yeah, exactly. And then it makes them happy too. Yeah. Um, let's end it on this note, which is a thing we kind of started last podcast, which is the shallow end. It's something that's fun. People laugh at me because I go on these couple minute riffs to start meeting sometimes where I'm complaining about meta or a platform and just the nonsense that surrounds that. So this is kind of your chance to go on a one to two minute riff about 
media marketing, just something funny, anecdotal, whatever it be, but something that just kind of maybe bothers you that I always think of like the Larry David version. Like what's the Larry David Seinfeld version of, um, that's a very outdated reference for probably a younger generation, but, um, I know. I know. You get it. Uh, Oh gosh. I have, I call in my mind, I call them little bugaboos (laughs) because, uh, I mean, they're there. I mean, gosh, it gets down to like how, I feel like a trafficking sheet should work versus naming conventions. Like, I think the thing I find myself complaining the most about is probably naming conventions. Just like, just because like, I don't, it, to me, like media and data is like a giant puzzle and like, it's all a, a naming convention. But um, in terms of like, has anybody talked about Twitter yet? With like, that actually breaks my heart. Like that, the Twitter thing what about tw- what, what about Twitter? Because I could I could name five things about Twitter that and specifically oh. some stuff right now. What's what about Twitter for you? I think I think specifically what upsets me about the Twitter situation with like obviously with like Elon Musk just like taking this platform that I in a lot of ways I have treated as like a medium to my art because I do have a I do lean a little heavier on the paid social strategy like that just happens to be something that mm-hmm. um, I have like more experience behind it was a painter's paintbrush. It was, it was a a different size canvas. It was my favorite color maybe. And it, it was a platform that I have, like I've worked with the reps in the past. I've grown close with them. I've been tied in and spent hours, days, weeks of my life more just focusing on this platform and learning about it, understanding more about the paid elements, organic elements, how it ties in. And, and it's just like seeing a resource and tool of mine that I've always considered to be part of my, what, what I like to call advertising the craft being taken away. I think that like, and t- not necessarily being taken away, I guess, like it's hard as a B2B yeah. uh, brand advertiser who works in like with a company that focuses on cybersecurity products yeah. to see a platform that is now like there's compliancy, compliance issues, privacy issues. And to see to see the decay of something that I really care about, I also probably spent a, a like too much of my time during lockdowns doom scrolling on Twitter in a way, and it was kind of my pandemic binky, and it it was a place where I could feel like I'm engaging with communities and like my God, like there are communities on Twitter that they started their entire career there, you know, like reporters, meme culture, like. Like the first thing I look at when it comes to sports, politics, and it makes me sad because I love, love that platform. Yeah, we'll see if it can recover. Yeah, we'll see if it can recover in the sense of what you're talking about. And I I could go off on about a 20-minute riff on Twitter and some of the things happening from both an ad standpoint and just the organic and just feed standpoint. So it's, it's a curious case of maybe someone who thinks they know all um trying to think they can do anything because they are very wealthy and there's a lot of opinions on Elon Musk I'm not his biggest fan because of his personality but it's been a couple months now and it doesn't seem to be recovering and its platform doesn't seem to be getting better and it's just kind of in this weird spot so maybe in 6 months to a year it'll look completely different and we'll be happy with the changes um but it has been a very precarious few months for sure and I uh it's kind of sad because it is a 
big part of society. And the fact that, for better or worse, it is, and its kind of downfall is not uh, is not great. And as someone who is a Twitter addict, um, typically I actually have deleted it from my phone because I just am like, I don't like the platform anymore, and it's gone downhill in a lot of ways. And so I, not that I go, don't go on my computer every now and again. It is not on my phone so that I can't just, like, stare at it all day and then be mad at what I'm seeing. So Yeah, yeah. Well, it's sad. It's sad. Oh, well. <laughs> It's a two-way street, Elon. Fix it. <laughs> Listen to the experts from F5 on that. Um, oh well, thank you for your time today. It was awesome talking to you and appreciate all the insight and, you know, talking to someone kind of in-house, B2B, kind of your perspective. I think that F5 is a model. This is no, was not meant to be a F5-specific uh, uh, pump-up podcast, but there is a lot of elements to admire from F5 and what you've shared in my experience with it, which is which is excellent. And um, hopefully those that listen can take one or two elements from it. But thanks for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it. And as we wrap up, I just want to say thanks to Ben Nussbaum on the ones and twos, helping with some of the sound and producing of today's podcast. Excited for more to come. Thank you for all that listen, and we'll see you next time.